See, I think you could also read that in a southern drawl. Clef's accent. I hate horses. 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 I don't see it as a, I don't know, maybe like a different southern accent than what I grew up with. Yeah. But. I'm thinking like stereotypical ranch. A ranch hand. Yeah. Out in Texas. Yeah. Horses. I don't know. Doesn't sound right to me. Maybe a ranch hand in Texas who was born in Boston. Listen, I grew up playing Hosses. Nancy Drew's horse ranch detective. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not what the character sounded like when I played that well, game. Well, that's not real life. Um, and this is, so. It probably is pretty true to real life. It's Nancy Drew. Okay. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy. I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing chapter 19 of Mad Ship, Aftermath. We just finished up with Althea driving Devad Restart back to his home after somebody left a slaughtered pig and smeared the blood all over the side of his carriage at said spy. She took the charge of the situation and drove him back, and they have just arrived at the Restart estate. Yeah, and as they arrive, Althea tells Devad to get out, but he is not responding. And not just because the door is stuck like normal, but just because... shocked Yeah, he is uh, huddling in the corner with his eyes squeezed tightly closed. So she yanks the door open and is frustratedly trying to take control of the situation because... We've heard all throughout the book so far that Devad doesn't really know how to manage his uh, servants or his employees well at all. Right. And so no one's really you know, paying attention to him when he just got home. Right. So the carriage driver was nowhere to be seen whenever they got back. That's why Althea is driving. And now that they're home, the lights aren't lit for him immediately. Nobody's coming to him. So there's nobody to help get him out of the carriage. Althea has to do everything and she's getting increasingly frustrated. Yeah. And she knows that people are home because there are some random lights, you know, on in the house. Right. But no one's coming out to help. So she's yelling out for the stable boy to come and take the horses and asking for the house steward saying your master is home. You know, somebody come and help. Right. And noticeably she asks Devad, what is the name of your stable boy? And he says, I, I don't know. I don't talk to him. I don't talk to him. And so then she just starts calling him boy and he's really skittish and she's mad saying, you know, you need to learn how to teach your stable boy. If you can't teach a stable boy correctly, you shouldn't even have one or hire somebody who can. This is disgrace. She's really mad and not really thinking about why this boy might be skittish or not know yeah. what's happening he's, she's mostly mad at devad right here. it's just like at least hire someone who can manage the servants if you can't like yeah. do something to manage your house yeah i this i will say gave me a bad taste in my mouth about althea and i don't know i can't quite put my finger on what exactly it is that i don't like but this definitely i was like oh hate this side of althea don't like it i'm not a fan 
Well, remember, they're all born into privilege here. Definitely. Big town traders. So they're kind of used to a certain way things are done. And if the house is in disrepair and nobody is helping out the master who pays them, obviously it's poorly run. And she likens everything to a ship, I'm sure, as well. So Right. No, I think that's fair. But what I don't love is, I guess, how how callous she's being like she's she's the last few chapters talked a lot about how slavery is wrong and people deserve rights and then treats these servants as subhuman and obviously those are like believing slavery is bad and treating people beneath your station worse is not equal but it just is weird to me that she'd be like hey slaves are people too we shouldn't do that to people and then also is horrible to service workers you know what i mean like (laughs) i don't think she's being horrible she's just she's bossing him around but like i don't know i i don't see it as being absolutely horrible to them i guess i just feel like yelling at people telling them do this now and acting as though they should know what they're doing under every circumstance, which like, I guess is an assumption if that's like what they're hired to do. But she also knows Devod traffics slaves. So why would she assume that all of these people are fairly paid and want to work? You know, I don't know. It's just like, she's like, I can't believe he wouldn't run his house. Well, it's like, you've met the man. Why would people want to work for him willingly? I don't know that. I think that's part of it too. It's like, she's just not connecting any dots and she's treating them like flippantly, and it just is not it. I don't know. I don't like it. I feel like <laughs> people deserve to be treated with more respect than that, no matter the circumstance. And I understand that this is not 21st century, but like, I don't go to a restaurant and say water now. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's what I'm trying to like. That's, I guess, the easiest way to equate why I don't like that. Like, yeah, it's their job to get me water. I don't need to talk like that at them if they're not doing it. I mean, but if you're going into... I don't know. I would more liken it to you go into a a clinic or some sort of medical place and you are bleeding and nobody looks at you, but you can tell people are behind the desk and they're like, nah, and there's nobody else in the room. They're just like, mm, no, <laughs> aren't you going to make some sort of stink? Like, come on, do your job. I mean, yeah, but like this isn't quite so high stakes. But if we are going that route, I still don't think I'd be like, get my information now. I'd be like, hey, could you help me, please? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm just too. You're also like, a little bit different than healthy. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I have too much social anxiety to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Devad is still kind of in a shocked state here. In the ride from the concourse to his home, Devad had become an old man. His face sagged, bereft of the cockiness that had always characterized him. He had not been able to avoid the manure and blood. It smeared his clothes. He held his hands out from himself in distaste and distress. She looked up to meet his eyes. He looked apologetic and hurt. He shook his head slowly. I don't understand it. Who would do something like this to me? Why? She was too tired to answer so large a question. Go inside, Devad. Have a bath and go to bed. Morning is soon enough to think about all this. Absurdly, she felt suddenly felt he needed to be treated like a child. He seemed so vulnerable. Thank you, he said quietly. 
I I think this is part of it. Why is she being so careful and gentle with the VOD? I get that they're family friends or whatever, but she's not this careful and gentle with Malta or her mom or Kefria or Brashin or literally anyone else in her life. But with Devad, it's like, oh, this poor grown adult man who runs many successful businesses. I need to be gentle with him. What? <laughs> I don't know. I hate it. Like, why are you coddling <laughs> him? He again, grown adult man who is fine he's fine he's fine running businesses we know he's a good businessman and is shrewd in his ways like but here oh poor baby (laughs) so he says thank you there's a lot of your father in you althea we didn't always agree but i always admired him he never wasted time in parceling out blame like you he simply sorry i read that wrong he never wasted time in parceling out blame like you, he simply stepped up to solve a problem. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a difference. <laughs> yes, there. difference there. I should have a man escort you home. I'll order up a horse and a man for you. He did not sound certain he could do it. A woman came to the door and opened it. A slice of light fell out. She peered out but said nothing. Althea's temper snapped. Send out a footman to help your master into the house. Have a hot bath drawn for him and lay out a clean robe. See that hot tea and a simple meal is prepared for him. Nothing spicy or greasy. Now... The woman darted back into the house, leaving the door ajar. Althea heard her passing on the commands shrilly. And now you sound like your mother as well. You've done so much for me. Not just tonight, but for years, you and your family. How can I ever pay you back? It was the wrong moment to ask such a question. The stable boy had come. The lamp revealed a spidery tattoo by the side of his nose. The ragged tunic he wore was scarcely longer than a shirt. He cowered from Althea's black-eyed stare. Tell him he's not a slave anymore. Her voice was flat. Tell, I beg your pardon? So she finally sees that the boy is, the stable boy is a slave. And with Devad just being totally clueless and even in his distress asking the wrong questions. (laughs) Yeah. And just bringing to mind all the things that Althea could be saying to him. She's just like, I'm done with this. Don't have slaves, Devad free him right now yeah it's it's also very impulsive of her i mean we know she's impulsive because what's gonna happen to this boy if he gets freed right now also just saying somebody is a free person does not make them so they have to get like a jewelry or whatever right yes but bingtown it's illegal to have slaves so if they walk away and say i'm a free person who's gonna stop them really You know, so if their owner is like, yeah, yeah, go free. Like, I guess, but they are, he also has a tattoo on his face. So if he leaves Bingtown, right, people are going to know he was a slave. If he goes to Jamalia or Chelsea, yeah. Yeah. And they could capture him again. So it's like, I don't know, it's stuff like that where it's like, so basically he has to live here forever or else. And if he doesn't want to, well, too bad because there's, Althea's not thinking of that. No, not at all. And she's not thinking, well, what do, this is, uh, she said, looks like he's almost 11. What is he going to do if he's free? Now he doesn't have a place to stay. And it's not like he's going to get to stay there and keep working. She doesn't have any money to take care of him. Where is he going to go? I don't know. And just like stuff like that. It's like, yes, I'm glad that she says, let him be free. But also, no plan. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> about Althea. like, yeah. But I also do want to point out, It says 
at that moment, the stable boy had come. But right before that, it said that he was standing by the horse. So I don't understand. Did he... First, he came out and was all acting all shy, looked to be 11, comes and stands by the horse, but then is hesitating. But then after Devad says, what can I do to repay you? He comes out of the stable with a lantern to show light. So I'm confused. Did he come out or not? Are these two different people? No, I don't think they're two different people. I think he just like she could see a stable boy just kind of halting in the shadows. And then he like finally stepped forward to help, I guess. I don't know. That's what I'm assuming little confusing but give it the benefit of the doubt okay just curious so devad says you can't be serious do you know how much a healthy boy like that is worth blue eyes and light hair are favored in chalced for house servants if i keep him a year and teach him some valet skills do you know how much coin he'd be worth she looked at him far more than you paid for him devad far more than you could sell him for Cruelly, she added, how much was your son worth to you? I've heard he was fair-haired. He blanched and stumbled backwards. He grasped at the carriage, then jerked his hand away from the blood-sticky door. Why do you say such a thing to me? He wailed suddenly. Why is everyone turning against me? Devad, she shook her head slowly. You have turned against us, Devad Restart. Open your eyes. Think what you are doing. Right and wrong is not profit and loss. Some things are too evil to make money from them. Right now, you may be gaining handsomely from the conflict between the old and new traders, but this conflict will not go on forever, and when it does, there you will be. One side will see you as a runagate, the other as a traitor. Who will be your friends then? Devad was frozen, staring at her. She wondered why she had wasted her words. He would not heed her. He was an old man set in his ways. And then the, uh, a footman comes at the door, his face uh, covered in grease because he had just been eating. And Althea calls him lazy after the footman exclaims at Devad, you're filthy, and recoils a bit. Yeah, so, yeah, Althea. Not really coddling him in this instance. No. <laughs> bringing she, up his dead son. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty low blow, but it's he deserves it. You know what I mean? Like, again, grown man, and he's making these decisions and doing the poor pitiful me act of why is everybody against me all i did was try to gain profit off of everybody else's misfortune and bring slavery to the town and also i'm looking at an 11 year old boy in terms of profit i could make i don't understand why don't people like me it's just i don't know like he deserves it and it's sad because you know that even though she said hey how much was your son worth? He had fair hair and he was offended. You know, he's still not putting two and two together. He's not. That's different right. because yeah. his son would have been somebody. There's no way his son would have been possible to become a slave. So it's different. I don't know. Just yucky. So the footman comes out. She reprimands him a bit and bundles Devad away with him. And before Devad goes in without turning he says take a horse from my stable to get home shall i send a man with you no thank you i don't need one she wanted nothing from him any more. he nodded to himself and added something quietly i beg your pardon he cleared his throat take the boy then stable boy go with the lady 
He took a breath and spoke heavily. You are free. Devad walked into the house without a backward glance. And so Althea has a stable boy. (laughs) (laughs) That she has no idea what she's going to do with. Yep. I think... I think this shows the importance of trying. You know what I mean? I think just a few chapters ago we had Amber saying you have to try to do what's right even if you don't think that you will succeed. And here Althea, instead of coddling Devad, said, you know, hey, slavery is bad and it's really bad that you're stepping on your friends to get a profit. Like isn't going to work out for you in the end. It might be nice now, but what are you going to do when that ends? And it did have some effect on him, whether or not that's lasting, who knows, but it's a start. And I don't know. It just, I guess it's kind of comforting that he at least let this one slave free, but we also know he's not really going to have a chance to grow deeper. (laughs) Right. And we switch perspectives over to Kefria. We get Kefria through the rest of this chapter, I think, right? No. Switches um, once more. It, yeah, it goes back to Althea once, I think. Okay, okay. Well, we start in with Kefria musing on Kyle. She's looking at a portrait of him, a miniature made of both of them. Papas was too honest an artist to paint Kyle Haven with a patient eyes or to leave out the small fold of annoyance between his brows. So now as Kefria looked at Kyle's portrait, he regarded her as it seemed he always had, with annoyance and impatience. It's just Kyle in the picture. It's just of Kyle? Yeah. She begged him for it as a Mm. bridal present. Gotcha. She had tried to cut past the layers of hurt in her heart to discover a core of love for him. He was her husband, the father of her children. He was the only man she had ever known. Yet she could not honestly say that she loved him. Odd, she missed him and longed for him to return. It was not just that his return would mean the return of the family's ship and her son. She wanted Kyle himself. Sometimes, she thought, having someone stronger to depend on was more important than having someone you loved. At the same time, she needed to settle things with him. Over the months that she had gone on that he had been gone on this trip, she had discovered there were words she had to say to him. She had decided she would force him to respect her, even as she had learned to demand respect from her mother and sister. She did not want him to vanish from her life before she had wrung that respect from him. If she did not gain it, she would always wonder if she had ever been truly worthy of it. And I find that super sad. One, because she doesn't get to do it. But two, this is kind of the end of her development as a character because she's completely forgotten in the future books. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's probably there a little bit in the third book of this trilogy, but the ones after this, no. Yeah. She's (laughs) She's left out. Truly the forgotten one. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I feel bad for her because I think she has been doing a lot of growing. There's obviously still a lot of growth needed but i find it interesting that she says she doesn't love kyle but that that's not something she's really thought about it doesn't seem like it's something she's thought about in depth before and it wasn't it ultimately wasn't about loving him it was about the security of having someone who would make all the decisions for her but still give her enough freedom to live how she wanted so i don't know i think it's kind of crazy that 
she married him for that reason. But crazier things happen. You know what well, I mean? I like, think she loved him before. I think now she's looking at it as like, do I love him? I don't know. But I think when she was young, she thought it was love at least. She yeah. probably loved him. I guess having a security that you didn't have from your own family could be mistaken as a love of like, oh, this feels safe. So that means I'm in love. I don't know. I don't know. It just makes me sad for her because she like really doesn't like Kyle. And I think this chapter especially, she's kind of like, yeah, I'm not that uh, that torn up about Kyle being gone if only because I don't have to talk to him, but I also want him back for like very selfish reasons that have nothing to do with love. So not in a bad way. Well, Kefri is musing on her husband and her family in general moves over towards Althea. She found her feelings for her sister closely mimed those she had for her husband. Every time she felt that she and Althea had regained some remnant of sisterly closeness, Althea would reveal that she still played only for herself. Tonight at the meeting, she had made it clear that the ship was what she cared about, not Kyle nor Wintrow. She wanted the ship back in Bingtown so she could challenge Kefria for ownership of it. That was all. And that's kind of true. I mean, it's a very cynical view of it, because Althea is looking to help Bingtown as a whole as well. But, I mean, we talked about this last episode. Althea always shoots herself in the foot and is always very grasping with what she wants and what she can get away with and always oversteps herself. Yeah, I would agree. And I don't think the read is wrong. I understand it. Like, I... I think where I come from, though, is it's odd to me that... Kefria has this opinion that Althea is always only out for herself. In what way? Because we don't see, I mean, besides Althea deciding to sail with their father, I guess, what other, in what other instances have we, do we know any knowledge of Althea being selfish in what she's doing. And I say that I know that Althea is kind of a selfish person. I just mean in context to in any way that affects Kefria. Well, from Kefria's point of view, the whole sailing with her father thing is something big, right? That's my younger sister had to do this and couldn't just live by the rules that I had to. So she gets her way and she's the favorite and she does all this stuff. And yeah, Kefria didn't want to do any of that, but right. that's not the, that's <laughs> that's not not the point, point yeah. right? So Althea always got her own way of things and Kefria always had to stay at home, which again is kind of what Kefria wanted to do. <laughs> but it left Kefria with dealing with the stuff that Ronica dealt with. And remember Ronica musing that Kefria went along to all of those things until finally she was presented as a woman and Kefria's like, oh, I can't do this anymore because I have to look presentable Mm -hmm. and then could beg her way out of it. So she got stuck with chores that she didn't want to do or knowledge that she didn't want to learn. And then from Kefria's point of view, once again, Althea comes back and says, I made a mistake with this ship's guy. I mean, I don't know what it means, but I need a charm. And she's like, oh, you're ruining my family's reputation. 
selfishly once again because you had to have something that you wanted, right? Because again, it's Kefri's point of view. It's not right. that Althea was taken advantage of. It's that Althea was looking to do something for her own pleasure or for herself instead of thinking of the family. And now maybe looking back, Kefria is thinking with her context of maybe I didn't truly love Kyle or I looked for only security. Maybe she's looking back and saying, he's the only man I ever known. And I did that for the family because I thought I loved him and he charmed me, but he was security and I didn't have to, I didn't have a life. (laughs) Yeah. I got married off and Althea just went gallivanting around. I guess. I don't know. I think it's hard for me to feel too sympathetic because it was all Kefria's choices. Like in that way, Kefria was also being selfish because again, like you said, she didn't, she stopped going to the things that she didn't want to do. Objectively, I can, I can agree with you. From Kefria's point I know, of view, but it's just not, those are yeah. sacrifices still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. It just that sort of thing is kind of frustrating because, and also we know that she shuts down Althea a lot of the time and went behind Althea's back and took what Althea and everybody else thought to be Althea's birthright, and she's not even pretending like that should have any effect on Althea at all. I don't know. It just, it's weird that she's older than Althea by a lot. What, like 10 years at least. And she expects Althea to be the more mature one. And she gets away. Like anything she's done is fine. It's Althea. That's the selfish one. And there's no like realization that like, Hey, maybe my actions also could be seen as selfish or, Hey, I also did some things that aren't great to help the sister relationship. It even says here in the text too, every time that she felt that she and Althea had regained some sisterly closeness, Althea would do something that pushed it apart. And like, I guess, I don't know. I get that they have like a tumultuous relationship and I, obviously there's stuff that we don't know about because it's not written about, but I think it's also kind of, awful that her takeaway from Althea's outburst is like Althea doesn't care about the family at all she doesn't care what happens to Kyle or Wintrow she just wants to be able to claim her ship and it's like she can be more worried about the ship than your husband she doesn't have any tie to your husband they don't even get along that doesn't mean that she doesn't care what happens to Kyle or Wintrow or that like that's the sole reason she wants the ship back is so she can claim her right. I like, it just feels a, like a really, I don't, it's I like don't an know extremist what, position. Yeah. yeah. It just like, there's no nuance. There's no, like, this is my sister that we have been getting along and I love. It's more like, Oh, there she goes again, doing everything just for her. It absolutely cannot be two things at the same time. Right. I don't know. Well, she is, kind of wandering around the house because she is waiting up for Althea and won't go to bed until Althea gets back. And same with Ronica. She knows that too. So she goes to her kids' doors. Selden is sleeping. She knocks on Malta's door. No response. So she says that there was no reply. Malta too slept with the deep ease that children had for rest. She had behaved so well at the meeting. On the ride home, she had made no mention of the near riot, but had put Greg Tanira at ease with her casual conversation. The girl was growing up. Do you think that she's sleeping, one? And do you think that through Kefria's eyes here, everything that she said was true? 
that she like behaved so well and she it was casual conversation with Greg. Um, from- I feel like there's a chance she's not sleeping. I guess it doesn't say that she opens the door. She just assumes Malta is also sleeping. Yes. But I mean, there's a chance Malta's just sleeping because. What else would happen? Yeah, because I feel like she would have come out earlier with Brashen talking about having an idea, but wanting yeah. to wait for Althea. So either she's sleeping or just like in her room chilling and doesn't want to talk, which I don't yeah. think she's like planning anything right now. Yeah, but as I agree for, with that. Yeah. As for if she is, if Kefri is telling of the events after are true, um, I think it can be true that she had immature thoughts on the inside, but still acted appropriately immature on the outside. I I feel like she probably tried flirting with Greg a little bit just because that seems to be who out or how, how Malta is in front of any man just to see if she can. But I don't, I don't know. I think she was probably fine, but I don't think that means that it was coming from a place of maturity. I think it was more just, she doesn't care about the riot, you know? Yeah. Well, Kefria goes down steps and knows that Ronica is going to be waiting up in the uh, in her father's study, right? The usual meeting place for the Vestrits. And so she decides she'll also wait. Mm-hmm. But she hears a light footfall on the front porch, thinking that's going to be Althea, and wondering why she didn't just go back to the kitchen doors, which is seemingly always unlocked for Althea. <laughs> She went to unlatch the big front door, and Brash and Trell and that bead merchant stood on the porch. He was wearing the same clothes as when she had last seen him. His eyes were bloodshot. The bead merchant looked composed. Her expression was friendly, but offered no apology for the late hour. Kefria stared at them both. This went beyond the courtesies of all, the boundaries of all courtesy. It was rude enough of Brashen to come calling so late unannounced, but he had also brought an outsider with him. Yes, she asked uncomfortably. Her restraint didn't seem to bother him. I need to talk to all of you, he announced. About what? He spoke quickly. About getting your ship and your husband back. Amber and I think we've come up with a plan. As he nodded toward his companion, Kefria noted a sheen of sweat on his face. The night was mild and pleasant. The feverishness of his face and manner was alarming. And then Ronica joins, saying is Kefria, or is Althea back? And there's a conversation with them and Brashen kind of goes through the same thing. Like, we need to talk. Yeah, he's <laughs> acting plan. very erratic and weird. Um, we know as rereaders that this is because he's going through withdrawals. Yes. He is uh, trying to. Sinden. Yeah. We don't. I don't know. Is it talked about? Is this. Is he trying to get away from being addicted to Sinden or is this he just has no more money to buy Sinden? I don't remember. I think it goes over it in a Brashen chapter or maybe an Althea point of view talking to Amber. Mm-hmm. I I seem to recall there's an answer to that. I just don't remember. Yeah. I think it's kind of a little bit of both where he probably ran out. Right. But also Amber probably talked to him like, hey, we need to do this plan and you can't be on Sinden. Yeah, fair, fair. <laughs> So Ronica and Kefri are there. They look slight. Brashen and Amber look slightly more embarrassed. At least Brashen does because Ronica's, you know, in her robe, 
no makeup on her face or anything like that. And he's like, oh, well, it's really late. Sorry. <laughs> also, Kefria notes that her mom looks ancient here. Like She looked haggard and old. Which is so mean. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could have that thought about your parent and it's not necessarily a derogatory thing. It could be like, oh my gosh, the stress is really getting to them. But it just, I don't know. I think it just mirrors how Malta thinks about the, uh, <laughs> Veronica. Veronica. And so... <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, what a mean thing to think about your mom. <laughs> so Brashen says, I believe this plan might offer us only the only chance of bringing your husband, son, and ship safely home. Kefria says, I do not recall that you ever had any great warmth or respect for my husband. If Brash and Charles had been alone, she might have felt more kindly toward him, but his strange companion put Kefria's hackles up. She had heard too many peculiar things about her. She did not know what these two were after, but she doubted it would be to anyone's benefit but their own. Warmth, no. Respect, yes. In his own way, Kyle Haven was a competent captain. He just wasn't Efren Vestrit. Tonight, at the meeting, Althea asked for help. That's what I've come to offer her. Is she home? I love that he says, in his own way... Kyle was a good captain because what does that mean? <laughs> competent. Like, yeah, he's not even good. He's competent in his own way. Well, it's because it's a different way than Efren Vestrits. Right. But like, I feel like either you're competent or you're not. And like, it feels a little shady, like to be like, in his own way, he was fine. <laughs> I think you're reading too much into Brashen. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But also... I find I find it really interesting in this chapter how Kefria seems to act like she knows Brashen somewhat well and she knows about Brashen's relationship with her husband. And that's odd to me because, well, number one, I don't see Kyle talking gossip with Kefria in their late at night talks. Like, I, I think he really? tells her about his travels, but I don't think he's like, I mean, Kyle and I think in their one chapter that we saw, Kyle did mention Brashen. Oh, you're right. In, I guess in he's... just the one that we saw too. So I feel like they talked about, you know, how they thought Brashen was brought aboard just to marry Althea and that sort of thing. Mm, I guess maybe, but either way, I feel like it's odd that now it feels like she has a lot of knowledge for Brashen, but in the previous chapter, it didn't feel as though she really knew who he was. If that makes sense. Like mm. they've met several times and just now we're getting this view of like, Oh my, you and my husband don't get along and whatever. But also he was the first mate on her dad's ship. So you'd think that she would have at least heard good things from her dad. Yeah. I don't know. I, Kefria's point of view is so wild to me that I just have a really hard time following her logic at any <laughs> given time. We Not, just don't get enough point of views of her to like actually get into her thought process. Very yeah, much. and get a grasp of why she is the way that she is. But Brashen's being a bit blunt, and Kefria is like, "Well, you know, maybe at a suitable time we can all talk." But Ronica is like, "No, let him in. Let's talk. We need any help that we can get." As you will, mother, Kefria said stiffly. She moved aside and let them enter. The foreign woman dared to give her a sympathetic glance. The woman even smelled odd as she passed Kefria to say nothing of her strange coloring. 
Kefria had no quarrel with most foreigners. Many of them were both charming and fascinating, but this beadmaker made her uneasy. Perhaps it was the way the woman assumed equality no matter what company she was in. As Kefria followed them reluctantly down the hall to the study, she tried not to think of the nasty rumor about this woman and Althea. Yeah, I mean, Kefria's very, I, very know, big town trader. I feel like she just gives big mean girl energy. Like she's... <laughs> A popular mean girl and not necessarily the ringleader. Definitely not. Too no, much effort. But she just is kind of mean and judgy. And it makes sense that Mal- Malta turns out the way she does. You know what I mean? Like every time we get in her head, I, she's a sympathetic character. I feel really bad for her. And I like I like Kefria. I just think that she isn't necessarily that great of a person. Oh, no. Neither neither are really any of these main characters, no. if we're being no, honest. No, no, no. So <laughs> it's par for the course. But yeah, I don't know. But her coming her talking about Amber is really interesting, especially in this chapter. I feel like th- these are a lot of really big clues about this being the fool. They're very subtle, but as a rereader and somebody who's taking notes <laughs> I feel like especially saying that noticing the the coloring and saying that it's like being around her is off putting and that it's weird that she assumes equality no matter where she goes. is just so fool, I guess, beloved, really. But (laughs) it's so what we know of fool Mm -hmm. that it's interesting to have another person that isn't Fitz describe Amber. Right. So Ronica, once they make it to the study, says that, you know, I'm waiting up for Althea. She went to bring Devad back. And Brashen is very concerned. And he's thinking, maybe I should go uh, see that she's safe because things have been kind of turbulent. And then there's a noise at the door and he steps out into the hall and is like, oh, okay, Althea's back, but she has a boy with him, <laughs> with her. Right. Um. He does say you probably have not heard Bingtown has been very disturbed tonight and he's really panicked about this. And then this is dropped and he forgets about it because Althea is back, like you said. Yeah. Um. But it's not brought up again for a while. And then when it's brought up again, he's like, oh, yeah, I keep forgetting. You don't know anything about what's happening. Like, <laughs> He's just all over the place tonight. Kefria exchanged a look with her mother. Although Ronica looked only puzzled, Kefria was feeling increasingly affronted by his odd behavior. Something was not right about that man. Do you think that Kefria is just so sheltered that she does not understand that he probably, he could be on drugs even? You know what I mean? Like, we know he's withdrawing, but she's not. I mean, she she might think like, yeah, he, there's he might be on drugs or a little feverish or something. Well, then why wouldn't we see her say that? I don't know, because you're trusting him. (laughs) You've known him for a while and be like, I don't know, something's just slightly odd. I guess. I I guess Althea right away is like, is he on drugs? So so I'm just thinking if it hasn't popped up in Kefria's point of view, I was wondering if that's showing how naive she is to the world. Maybe. That like she she's just like something is weird with him, but I genuinely have no idea what, you know. Well, we jump over to Althea, who's just got home. She's trying to take the boy's hand, but he's not 
grabbing her hand. This is so funny to me. And I know like everything's so serious and it's like, oh my gosh, all this dire, sad, Mm -hmm. horrible mood. And now Thea comes in. She's like, oh, this poor child. Like what had to have happened for him to be so scared? He drew back from her touch. Poor lad. How badly had he been treated to fear the simple touch of a hand? (laughs) (laughs) And then very softly and calmly, it's all right. No one's going to hurt you. Come inside. She spoke slowly and reassuringly. She wasn't even sure he understood her. He hadn't spoken a word since they left Devad's house. It's so, like, sincere and caring, and she's so worried for this boy and feels so sorry for him. And that sets up a It's just setting up such a funny scene. But then we get away from that, and she talks about how... She'd failed badly tonight. Yeah, she does not feel good about what happened. Which is a change from when she was walking out of the hall. I was like, well, I did everything I could. Yes, Yeah, she was like, well, at least I said my piece. (laughs) Yeah, but this time she's reflecting a little bit and thinking she'd talked out of turn at the council's meeting and possibly hastened its early adjournment. The council hadn't even formally agreed to hear their concerns. She'd been forced to face what Devadra's start had become. She feared there were many other traitors who had slid down just as far. And her quick tongue had burdened her with a boy she had no means to care for. She brought that down on herself. She wanted nothing so much as a bath in her bed, but she supposed she'd have to see to the boy's needs first. At least little else could go wrong tonight. Then she thought of facing Kefria and her mother after all she'd said to the council. Her mood plummeted. I will say one positive about Althea is at least she's taking responsibility. She recognizes, oh, I didn't think this through. I had no plan. But I am going to take responsibility either way because I made this mess and this boy is now under my care and I got to figure out what to do. So, like, I do appreciate even without the foresight, she still is willing to face the consequences of her actions, I guess, Mm -hmm. which is nice because I don't think that that happens with like Kefria or Malta there. They are so against the consequences and like admitting that those are consequences flashes yeah malta definitely does but i think even wintro has trouble accepting consequences to his actions Mm -hmm. and i think it's nice that we have at least one character who is like eventually yeah i mean yeah but she she at least is like well i guess we got to do something about this now like She's not like putting blame. She's just like, whatever, another thing to deal with. (laughs) So she coaxes the boy in and all of a sudden she hears, thanks, saw you're all right. She jumps and spins around and Brashen is bearing down on her. Relief shown on his face to be instantly replaced by a frown. A moment later, he was chewing her out as if she was an incompetent deckhand. You're damn lucky you weren't waylaid. When I heard you driven off, driven Rastad's carriage off, I couldn't believe it. Why would you, th- you throw in with an ass like that, with feelings running so high against... Oh, what is that? He halted <laughs> a step away from her, his expression changing. He lifted a hand to his nose. It's not me, the boy beside her piped up indignantly. A sick duchy's twang twisted his tongue. It's her. She's got shit all over her. At <laughs> <laughs> Althea's outraged glare, he shrugged apologetically. You do. You need a bat. <laughs> I just want to say that I I cannot remember this little boy's name to save my life. Clef. Thank you, Clef. Clef is so funny. I love him so much. Yeah. He brings much needed levity to this scene. Yes. And I just, 
I think he's my new favorite character. <laughs> I also cannot stop reading all of his lines with a Scottish accent, which I think really firms in my mind that six duchies in general are Scottish people. They they all have Scottish yeah. accents. I think we we, got, we read this off too in one of our after episodes, but we got a message from somebody I can't recall off the top of my head about that. And it, mm-hmm. it reading it now with that in mind, it really does yep. kind of pop. <laughs> it's 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 a Scottish accent. <laughs> <laughs> so Althea hears that and <laughs> thinks it's the final blow. It was too much to endure. She transferred the frown to Brashen. Why are you here? You know what? Honestly, fair. I think we have all been there when it's not necessarily the one thing, but that is one thing that's enough to be it's like, a culmination. I cannot believe my day and you are making it worse. How dare you? <laughs> Brashen says, I was worried about you. As usual, you seem to have survived your impulses, but set that aside. I have something very important to discuss with you regarding going after Vivacia. Amber and I think we have a plan. You might think it's stupid, you probably won't like it, but I think it will work. He spoke hastily, his words coming out too fast as if challenging her to disapprove. If you'll only listen to th- and, and think about it, you'll come to find it's really the only way to save her. He met her eyes again. But that can wait. The boy is right. You should wash first. The smell is pretty bad. Smile came. A small smile came and went on his face. It was too close an echo of his words when they departed in Candletown. Was he mocking her to remind her of that here and now? How dare he speak so familiarly to her inside her own home? She scowled at him. He opened his mouth as if to speak, but the boy's voice cut him off. Nothing stinks worse than pig shit. The boy agreed cheerily. <laughs> Don't let her get uh, get it on you. <laughs> he cautioned Brashen. That might be a little bit more Irish, but it's... <laughs> not in sling swords and big shot it's so good i i i have to i think i don't know how popular this opinion is but i don't love when dialects are written phonetically out in books shouts out to mark twain for inventing that right but this kind of works because it's so abrupt and (laughs) different we just spent three books in six duchies and you're like oh this is you know (laughs) fantasy medieval kind of like it's gotta have like a fancy british beautiful no (laughs) just everyone's scottish scottish highlands yeah that's all it is oh it's i mean they're on a cliff even yeah keep is on a cliff that's just the scottish highlands but then so then i'm thinking well, what other accents are there? Like, how are these people talking? And I decided that maybe Althea and Brashen and all the other Bingtown people have a Southern accent. <laughs> but Luke pointed out that I might just think that because they all have to deal with slavery. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but I don't know. I like it. Southern accents for southern the Bingtown. Drawl. Yeah, they got a nice Louisiana Southern draw. <laughs> But also, why why is it that it's only Clef that has this strong of an accent, whereas... No one else has written like it. No one else. Yeah. Love it. 10 out of 10. I guess he's from like a small fishing village in the Six Duchies, right? Mm. Because he was on a boat with his dad before, he says later. Yeah, that's fair. It, it I mean, it is true in general. Some people, rural place. Yeah. People with that are from like smaller towns usually do have a harder to understand accent than yeah. anyone else in their co- country or place. So it true. makes sense that if he's from a small t- place, but 
I don't know. I just love the idea of Fitz having to get all the dialects correct yeah. <laughs> going through the different duchies. It's just so good. Anyway. So he warns Brashen, don't let it, let her get it on you. And she says, small chance of that. You can let yourself out, she told him. As she stalked by him, he gaped after her. The boy she could forgive. He was only a lad in a foreign place in a strange situation. Trell had no such excuse for his manners. <laughs> Oh, I just love it because she's still like, oh, this poor kid, which poor kid indeed. He was he's like 11 and he's a slave. It's pretty traumatic. However, still very funny that probably the reason he wasn't talking to her is because she smelled so bad. Like (laughs) it's a little and wouldn't take her hand. (laughs) Yeah, I will also just quick tangent. It said that he has fair hair, but he is from the six duchies. Remember the farseers? are the ones with the very strong, like dark coloring of hair and, and things. Mm, so that's like only the farseers or. And if he's, if he was taken in a slave raid is probably near the Chelsea border. Mm, that's fair. And they almost all exclusively have like fair hair. Well, I was wondering though, too, if maybe, well, no, cause he worked with his dad. Never mind. I was going to say, what if he was like a red ship oh, baby, no. but, but yeah, probably not. Yeah, probably not. Not if he worked with his dad. No, yeah. So anyway, I just thought that was interesting because I was like, oh, I thought that the people who lived in Buckkeep were all like darker complexion and has the like dark curly hair. So it's odd to me that there'd be a fair haired boy from. Well, and the six duchies conquered their duchies not terribly long ago. I mean, quite a while enough for you know, bloodlines to get mixed and everything like that. Mm -hmm. But they seem fairly insular. (laughs) The duchies do at least. They kind of have their superiority of like what duchy is the best, which whatever one they're living in basically. So yeah, I don't know. Well, I think I'll stop it right there. We're coming up on an hour here and we've got quite a bit left to discuss in this chapter. So let's take a break there. Thank you so much for tuning in. You have any thoughts on this first half of the chapter? I mean, Althea just got home, so there's not much. Uh, <laughs> we got the introduction to Clef. Yeah. And how Devad is doing. Why Oof. she's still putting up with Devad. Ugh, yeah. She's a little too nice, in my opinion. Well, if you guys have thoughts on anything in that first half of the chapter, please let us know. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you who are in America or are American elsewhere in the world and are celebrating. I think this is going to be airing the day after, two, three, three days after Thanksgiving. Just one. Just one. One or two. Depending on where you are in the world. Oh, yeah. I guess in Australia, it's a day ahead of when we normally release in America. Yes. (laughs) Okay, okay, yeah, just so one. So to right. all our listeners out there, have a piece of turkey to celebrate. <laughs> Come on, it's all about the sides, mashed potatoes and... Cranberry sauce. Mm. Well, please let us know if you have any thoughts on this part of the chapter so far. You can email us at isfitshappy at uh, gmail.com or you can message us on any of our social medias at isfitshappy. Thanks so much. See you next week. Okay, so now we get to do our favorite part. 
I, I always say my favorite part, but I assume Luke likes it too. Yeah. <laughs> I've never asked, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so now we get to do our favorite part, which is talking about the things you guys have brought to our attention. And we're going to start with Facebook comments. And the very first comment we have is from Ellen, and this is on episode episode 175. And it has to do with Wintro and Vivacia's relationship. Yeah, this is part one of that chapter. Yeah, so Ellen was saying that she kind of sees the relationship that Wintro and um, Wintro and Vivacia have as sort of an anxious attachment style where they both try to put up walls. Anxious avoidment. Sorry, yes. Attachment anxious style. avoidment. Avoidant. Sorry. No, no M in that word. <laughs> okay, Clef. Yeah. <laughs> so they have an anxious avoidant attachment style in that they both put each push each other away and build walls to keep themselves safe, but still need each other and still want to be connected to each other. Yeah. And they take turns kind of fulfilling each of those roles. I thought it's a nice, uh, thought it was a nice comment. Uh, if you guys want to read the whole thing, of course, go to our Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought, I agree. I think it's a really good way to look at their relationship. And I, it always is crazy to me. This isn't the first time this has happened, but I think Robin Hobb must have some background or know somebody with a background in psychology or something because the way she writes about stuff, this is all conjecture. She has never said this to my knowledge and I'm just making this up. I want to make that fully clear, but she just, the way she writes about trauma and how people act is so well done and so realistic. I I, I wonder if she's taking classes. Yeah. Like as an adult, just taking know. classes for fun. I know because a lot of writers do a lot of research. Mm-hmm. Even for the live ship books, I know her husband sailed for a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was gone for months at a time, which kind of inspired some stuff. But she still studied a lot of stuff and read a lot of books. Yeah. So I'm wondering if she did kind of the same thing or if she took classes or if, like yep. you said, she knows somebody. Just to learn about how... Or people work. It could just be, yeah, interacting and writing how relationships work and yeah. we can assign these kind of traits. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But it, it's just so intriguing because I think seeing all of the different things come through where people can associate them with different real diagnosable things is fun. And I guess, I mean, to my knowledge, I don't think anybody that's written in is a psychologist or could technically diagnose people and we're definitely not um <laughs> but at least the people having experienced some of those things themselves and recognizing that trait in a character mm-hmm. is still really impressive and yeah. so that's what i think every time somebody writes in and is like oh i think this could fit with this type of thing that's like a clinical description and it works i'm always like oh my gosh does she like yeah I know mean, the insides and out of psychology and an like easy, relationship an easy example would be did she start with the idea that fitz was going to get depression or just wrote him like he had depression and it just we can say that he had depression yeah you know like did she go up with that outset of this is what this character is going to be or these are what these two characters relationships is like is the way that she seems to answer in interviews about her writing process is that the characters make decisions 
and she just writes the scenes like the characters kind of lead. So my thought is that she doesn't have those ideas on the outset. It just kind of develops into that, which is even more amazing that she can capture kind of those nuances of human relationships so clearly. Yeah. No, I definitely, I I really enjoy it. And I think it's really well done. It's probably what makes it feel so well-rounded and the characters all feel more fleshed out that way. Yeah, but so thanks, Ellen. Yeah, thank you, Ellen, for bringing that up. Sorry for going on a little bit of a tangent. But Ellen also had another comment on episode 176, which is the second half of <laughs> the chapter that got split into. And this one is about Althea and Greg. <laughs> and a <laughs> Every, little bit of a complaint. <laughs> yes. Um, actually, we got a couple of people saying that I was wrong, which is valid. Um, but this one specifically is saying that um, I was saying that Althea doesn't like Greg, but Greg, but Ellen disagrees. Yeah, because we were in the middle of being very frustrated and you're like, you don't like him. Just move on. Just tell him no. (laughs) Yes, that's true. Which I don't know. We've talked before that she does like him, right? Yes. It's it's kind of a oversimplification of being frustrated in the moment. Yes, definitely. No, I do think that there is clearly some attraction there, at least physically, But I think emotionally, they just aren't quite there. And there is, Ellen did bring up that they do have a connection and Althea does like Greg. Yeah. But Althea is just kind of swept up in the moment, right? Things are just rushed along and she kind of doesn't have a time to say, stop. No, let me think. Yeah. Ellen brings up specifically that the society that they are in kind of prevents her from being able to push back or slow things down. And Especially I think, with the situation of surrounding everything too. Yes. And I think that's a very good point. And thank you, Ellen, for bringing it to our attention because it is really important to remember that as much as it, we would love to see Althea just kind of like make a decision and get on to the next part of the book. That's not super realistic. Number one and number two, not doable in her situation. And right. Even though Brashen, or sorry, not Brashen, even though Greg can kind of get away with rushing things or trying to rush things, it's not the same. Like whenever he springs a proposal out of nowhere and it's a bad idea, he definitely should not have done that. He's able to do that, but Althea in the same way cannot say, hey, no, I don't want to do this yet she has to be more tactful about things, mm-hmm. especially because it is a rejection and the way things are going, yeah. which brings us to an email that was actually about the, a similar topic. Thank you, Ellen, for your comments. This email is from listener Jess and starts off talking about the Greg and Althea relationship. So Jess believes that we are being a little bit unfair to Althea that there is a lot going on. And mm-hmm. so, of course, Althea is not thinking super straight and does disparage Greg for kind of doing that weird proposal that he does um, on top of all the other background stuff of Brashen being there and the... Uh, Devad coming to talk to Greg and then yes. her having to go with Greg during that. And that would make everybody see her and Greg look like they were dating and just kind of back to back. And we touched on it this chapter or this episode, actually, that it was just a lot of stuff today for Althea. Yeah. I think we were a little bit more uh, fair this episode, but 
yeah, we were a little harsh on Althea last episode and Jess brings up that again, it's that whole society pressure of you can't just say no. There's a line to walk, especially with the way things are going right now. Mm-hmm. Vivacia is in trouble. She can't be making enemies by saying, actually, no, thanks. I don't want to sit with you or acknowledge publicly that we're dating. Yeah. So, And the Sineras are allies. And they are allies. Yes. So I think that is a really good point. And again, thank you for bringing that up. It's a really good thing to remind Luke and I and others that it is... It's not just a frustrating plot point. <laughs> it is. It makes sense in the world that they're in and the time that is going on. So Althea can't just jump in and do things willy nilly. Right. Yes. Just also had a couple comments on some other characters that we touched on in that as well. One specifically was about Devad. Uh, Jess agrees that the, they wish the Vespers would drop him like a stone. Yep. But then we wouldn't get all the comedic things about Devad, which I'm going to have to disagree with you on. I don't care about his comedic <laughs> things. Fair enough. It's just too frustrating at this point. You know, just drop him. Just drop him. <laughs> yeah. But it's true. It's true. We would miss out on a lot of uh, faux pas, social faux pas. And Devad is a little bit of a comedic relief sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes he is more annoying than it's worth, but... It's just that eye roll, like, oh, Devad. Yeah, we. he truly is that uncle that you like, you're like, ooh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're from a different era, aren't you? Uh-huh. Okay, well, are you aware what year it is? Okay, interesting. <laughs> um, Devad is definitely one of those who has some inside thoughts out loud. Yes. Jess also mentions... The Kenneth and Sa'adar stuff? And brings up yeah. a great question. Why on earth would Kenneth want Sa'adar to stay on the island with his mother? Because Jess's point here is Jess doesn't buy that Kenneth thinks his mom would want a priest on the island. And that is the reason why he would bring Sa'adar. Why would he want Sa'adar on the island? Sa'adar is untrustworthy. It's around his mother who we've talked about he does want to protect and keep kind of a secret so jess is kind of thinking just brought him to the island and convinced himself that oh yeah my mom would want a priest but really in the back of his mind is like i'm gonna bring him there he's gonna row me he's gonna row me back i'm gonna dispose of him but he can't say that to himself because Kenneth doesn't want to admit that he might be too weak to row himself the whole way. Right, exactly. So definitely. An interesting yeah. thought there, and I kind of agree, you know. Yeah. It is a weird thought. I, I'm back and forth on this. We've had debates, two debates about it now of mm. like, did Kenneth mean to kill Sa'adar or did he actually want to stay on the island? And this is another point in the... He was there for another purpose. I don't know. I do kind of wonder if this was sort of a test for everybody involved on Kenneth's behalf. Yeah. Because Kenneth, if he leaves Sadar alive on the island, it's testing everybody he's left, all the other people he's left to see will they stay loyal to him are they going to protect his mom and it's testing how far Sadar is willing to go to get the ship 
and what he's willing to do to get to Kyle. Yeah. How powerful is he actually of an enemy? And if Dej and Sela are going to listen to him and therefore mm-hmm. be good help to his mother. Right. And I mean, I guess he probably doesn't really care what happens to Ankle at this point. No, no. <laughs> I don't think that's part of the equation. But I also wonder if potentially it was just an oversight on Kenneth's part. We know that he has been recovering and he's been a little sick. So maybe he really didn't fully think through everything that could happen right. if Sadar did stay. Because we see that panic whenever he thinks Sadar is taking too long and is probably already has already killed his mom and is coming to kill him next. I wonder if maybe he just maybe Vivacia has been calming his mind enough to where he wasn't having those yeah. sort of panicky thoughts because he was recovering and, his and now paranoia was repressed a little bit, so he didn't plan for every eventuality. Yeah, and now he's on the island and it's like, uh oh, this is actually really <laughs> bad and I have no control over this situation and I hate it. I don't know really hard to tell good thought to bring up though yes so thank you jess for writing in we also had a couple people send in some really interesting art Mm -hmm. um we love seeing art and also some cat pictures um we love seeing (laughs) animal pictures as well but it's so cool to see people who are part of this fandom who are so talented and we get to see all their talent and it's really fun and um I don't know I just really enjoy it it's really cool that people take their time to do stuff like that it's really impressive but um the first one we're going to talk about is Melissa who sent us in a an email talking about how they envisioned the traders and Bingtown in general to be in Greek style. Yeah, because when we were talking about the Bingtown meeting and Emma was talking about Greg's sandals and the girded traders' robes, the hiked up, it kind of clicked for them. So they uh drew drew a sketch. Sorry, I said Greek. I meant Roman. Yeah. Roman clothing. Yes, but they gave us a sketch of what they think it would look like and it's very good. It's amazing. And they also sent us some pictures of um, earrings that they made, which were also very good. Yes. Very cool. But so thank you for sending in your art, but also I love the idea that all of the people are just in Roman garb and <laughs> it makes sense for the sort of humidity and Talking hot about place. robes. And yeah, stuff. yeah. Yeah. Feel, I don't know. I like it. Good choice. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for bringing that to our attention, Melissa. And then, the other person who sent us artwork also sent us a really cool quilt that they made. Yeah. That is Farseer themed. It's a, uh, a baby blanket, an applique baby blanket. We still have to see if we can get uh, Karen's approval to share it with you guys. But if not, and they end up posting it on their Instagram, we will definitely be sharing it from their Instagram yes. for you guys. So hopefully we get to share it with the group. If not, just know it's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a scene that has um, night eyes in the forefront with Fitz and the fool in the background and a bunch of other different features on it, kind of representing different parts of the books. It's really really cool. Yeah, it's amazing. And again, we have some cat pictures too, so that was very fun. Yeah. So thank you for that from. Karen. Oh, one thing oh. I do want to add from uh, Melissa's follow-up email. Yes. Agrees with you on Jason Isaac as Kenneth. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's a great casting. I'm not going to 
not pat myself on the back for that. <laughs> he has like the perfect amount of charm to mm-hmm. pull it off, but like in our minds, he's also Lucius Malfoy, so he has that greasy mm-hmm. quality. Kind of, yeah. yeah, yeah. I I also like that he's like a little bit older. Yeah, because I think that's important. I think he's a little bit too old now to actually yeah, play him. That's but fair. like when he played Hook, I, I agree with that. You know. Yeah, I think that was like the the age range. That yeah. was it. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you, Melissa, for that. It was <laughs> very good. Um, and then finally, we have a question that um, Jonas sent in via email that I'm actually very interested to know the in, uh, answer to yeah. as well. This but, is to all of you guys, actually. It's not yeah. to us. Yeah. So thanks, Jonas, for giving us an idea to wrap this up with a question for everybody. But um, Jonas wants to know, and we do too, how do you guys listen to the podcast? Yeah, Jonas says that for me, it's either immediately when I see the new episode is live, I go lie down and rest while listening to the podcast, or it's Friday and Saturday when I listen to the podcast whilst making dinner and eating. I'm just curious how it is for other people. Yeah. So yeah, that's super interesting. I'm kind of curious of what's your habit when you're listening to us? Yeah. What are you guys up to? Because we're just chilling in a living room right now. (laughs) Um, I'm kind of focused on how echoey it is in our room and what I'm going to edit like, but I don't really listen back. I I listen too much during the edits. So yeah, I sometimes listen to episodes, but mostly I hate hearing how I sound. So, um, you'll definitely have to listen to this one about your, uh, your accent. Oh no, no, no. That'll make me cringe way too much. So (laughs) once I've said it on the pod, it's done. It's that's for you guys to listen to. (laughs) This is just word vomit. (laughs) Yeah. this is. (laughs) (laughs) It's out of us. So yeah, it'd be super interesting. Please like, we'll, we'll probably post the question too on our socials with this episode or something. You can just reply as a comment or email us or DM or anything like that. Just because it's interesting. We'd love to know what you guys do. It's hard. We um, used to live in the States and now we're in Australia. So things have changed about our posting. Um, So yeah, now whenever the episode goes live, it goes live um, in the middle of the night for us here in Australia. And that means that it's a couple hours before I post the episode being available to everyone. But um yeah, that's been a big change for us. So it's interesting. It'll be interesting to hear from people in mm-hmm. different parts of the world when it comes out for them and how they listen. Yeah, definitely. So thank you, everybody who wrote in and shared with us. It's always yeah. very fun to hear your thoughts and see your projects and see your pets. Yes, I didn't enjoy this week's um, barragement of Emma being wrong, emails and texts. <laughs> they weren't but, all about no, Emma being they wrong. were they not. Were just about, we were harsh on Althea, <laughs> no. right? <laughs> no, and I'm Don't fine. Don't be being Althea wrong. and make it about yourself here. I will okay. be Althea and make it about myself. No, I, I really don't mind. It's really nice to, if, that you guys feel comfortable enough to tell us when we're yeah. wrong oh, or you definitely. disagree. I love it so much. I definitely, I obviously cannot always be right, but I wish I was. <laughs> <laughs> We love hearing from you guys, so we look forward to hearing what you guys have to say next week, too. Thanks, guys. Bye.